You're listening to The New American Left with your host, Kieran Murphy. We built an entire movement online organically for no other reason than the purpose that we believe in this. Hello and welcome to The New American Left. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on independent media, its role in the current elections, and also its role in our society at large and how it can help us push our progressive or leftist movement forward. If you're just tuning into the elections, you may realize that Mike Bloomberg dropped out of the race. And one of the architects of that destruction was one Benjamin Dixon. So, we were lucky enough to have him agree to an interview with us. Host of the Benjamin Dixon Show, Mr. Dixon, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's, honor. it's truly an honor. So... I wanted to get your your opinion and your stance on independent media and its role today, because we kind of we kind of cover broad topics here, and uh, that's kind of I think obviously in the front of everyone's mind these days, particularly with the coverage we're seeing going on today. So my first question for you would be, how do you see the role of independent media today? And is it worth the effort, or can it serve to muddy the waters? Obviously, I think it's worth the effort, right? Um, we did with Michael Bloomberg. Um, it was a small bit of journalism. It wasn't really like the most robust example of journalism. I just did the basic standard practices of journalism and I just happened to be an independent journalist. But look at the impact we had together. You know, it was it was pretty, pretty big. And I since then, I've come to realize that you know, a lot of people dismiss what we do, like what you do and what I do and what everyone else does. The, these podcasts, they like to dismiss it as just podcast. But I like the way you framed it. You framed it in terms of since the printing press, people have done it um, independently. And I think that might be the best example of journalism is when you are free to ask the questions that they would never ask on mainstream media to explore the topics that they would never explore. So I think independent media is the heart and soul of true journalism. You know, you hear a lot of uh, sort of the commentary surrounding podcasts is, you know, everybody has a podcast, everybody. And always to me, you know, revolution and uh, change in society and structural change is born of conversations in bars and salons and handing out pamphlets and, and you know handing out your own magazine your own newspaper independent newspapers and this has been the story from the beginning of time so to me i just saw that as a translation into the 21st century you know it's like oh we have this technology we have this ability and it's it's the same tradition that our ancestors had carried on previously yeah i think it is so as an independent journalist right throughout history it was the, the people who are not connected to power who challenge power, right? You can't really ever expect institutions that are built off of the power system to ever question the power structure, right? It's just not, you know, it, it may not even be reasonable for us to ask a person whose check is dependent on maintaining the status quo to ever ask a question that challenges a status quo. And so I think podcasters and independent media People who are doing it, you know, we're doing it from our bedrooms. We're doing it from our home offices, which is just an aphorism for our bedroom, right? We are in here. We're out here doing these, asking these questions for the passion of the conversation. Most of us would never even make money doing this. You know, in the last couple of months I've gotten, last couple of weeks, I've gotten more patrons than I got in the first five years of doing this. So we're not in this for money. Um, we'd like to get paid, 
but we're in it for the sake of asking good questions. I'm I'm a full time baker actually. <laughs> I have a bakery and I uh, it's a small independent bakery, so I'm I'm all the time baking. That's what I'm going to do after this is going to make dough, but. I feel compelled to try to make these things for the same reason that you said is to try to get this information out, to ask the questions and to also sort of, you know, act as a check on this power that we see coming from the more corporate side of media, which has an angle. And, you know, they they function within that space and you got to push back on them. Dude, can I tell you, I love the imagery of the revolutionary baker. (laughs) I, I could just see like the. The guy in the bakery who has his microphone set up at the at night, he he goes into the you know into the loft of his home, and he and he broadcasts to the revolution. He lets them know like if you hear my voice, you are the resistance. You know what I mean? Like I just love the fact that such a deep passion to do these things, to to telling the truth. That it's like it, we have our day jobs and we have our night nightlife, our, our our alter egos. I read the conquest of bread and took it rather literally, I suppose. <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. So uh, with the, the, I was also thinking to myself, since the power of indie uh, independent media can be sort of a double edged sword, uh, how can we educate our listeners on how better to determine whether or not what they're listening to is credible? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. In the, I mean, this is exactly the question, right? This is the essence of why independent media is so necessary because you have to ask yourself the question, like what is the motivation of the person speaking? What is the motivation of of their organization? Like, are they giving me the full spectrum of options? The most insidious form of propaganda is making you believe that you had a choice when they really limited you to like A, B, and C. When in reality, you could have gone all the way to Z. It's interesting how you frame that, too, because the best history teacher I ever had when I walked into class the first day, I remember he wrote on the blackboard in front of all of us, bias. He just wrote bias. And he said, this is what history is about. Determining bias, who wrote it, why did they write it, and under what conditions did they write it? And that's how you can tell how to actually interpret history. Yeah, no, I think I think that's definitely... Um... I think that's brilliant, actually. Right. I, and I think it's it's to have him invest that in you at such an early age. It for me. So I remember I don't I don't remember the topic or the issue, but I remember when I started doing some heavy research into a political issue years ago. Like, I mean, the Internet was early. I was young and I came across a website and, and my suspicions, my radar of just something about it just didn't register with me and and so i just took the initiative to ask questions like to be a skeptic about everything that i read the website that i landed on and i think that's a key skill set that mainstream media needs for the audience to not have whereas we in podcasting we need you to have that that's a really good point i was just having a conversation with my mother a little anecdote today and she was she who is a dyed in the wool liberal as far as they come you know Watches a little too much MSNBC, but she's she's a good woman. <laughs> and she's a Bernie supporter, sort of reluctantly, but is. And she said to me today, she's like, well, how come we're going to have to be paying a 65% tax bracket? And I was like, where... Where are you get? I mean, I know where you're getting that information from, but where are you getting that information from? And I was like, do you make ten million a year? Because I was not aware of that. Like, because that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, tell me something. But even those <laughs> those false narratives bleed their way into people like my parents, who 
should be pretty solid votes for the left, you know? So it is it is amazing how the, the reach that that stuff has. One of the things that um, I like to ask people in my pod, on my podcast, um, particularly in the patron section, in the patron section, we just kind of go into like things. But I like to ask people where where did that idea that you have in your head, where did it come from? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you hate what you hate? Why do you um, support what you support? Why do you think what you think? they start exploring that they realize if almost everything in their head came from somewhere else somebody else some advertisements some news broadcasts and so i actually just pause and say like now what do you think came out of you versus what was given to you and most people can't do that and so one of the number one things i do on my show is i try to empower people to have that type of self-exploration with everything like don't just let other people tell you what to think think it for yourself Ah, I love that. That that is a really excellent way to describe that feeling. That you know, I think a lot of people, especially like me on the smaller end of the show spectrum, kind of worrying about that and being like, I really want to make sure that you're having the right approach to this, and that's a good way to sort of coach people into the right frame of mind. Really, I think it's a, cr- a critical thinking skill set that is probably out of necessity had to be frowned upon because when you when you stop and you think for yourself it by default challenges the power structure right it it, it almost i mean it doesn't have to but the way power is structured in society right now it's structured and it's maintained on the back of propaganda and ignorance quiet because you don't know what's going on or you've been uh propagandized lead to ideas and thoughts that challenge the system And that sort of brings us to our next thing, civility. (laughs) And uh, recently, I thought you brilliantly stated on your show, civility is the tool of the powerful to equate their loss of power to the victims of their power. That is an excellent line. And I really, uh, I've been thinking about that basically for the past 24, 48 hours since you said it. Uh, That, it ties into all of this, this whole structure. And I was wondering, like, how could we address the calls for civility from our for our movement when the feeling's not exactly reciprocated? Yeah, yeah. No, so you realize they're gaslighting us, right? They're they're really just trying to push us into a corner where we will lay down our arms. No, 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 not at all. Do you know how many you know how many campaigns we've destroyed? Like we came through and wrecked shop on you guys. We're not going to lay down our rhetorical arms. Absolutely not. We don't have the money. We don't have the what we have are our words that's what we have and we have social media twitter like we don't have the money to out organize um uh the democratic party we don't have the money to out organize michael bloomberg but we had enough relationships on twitter to make him go viral so you know of course we're not going to put down our arms number one but number two um i think people who are overly sensitive to uh mean tweets i think if you're serious if you're serious about what you're saying and you're really offended by this, you're not qualified to go up against Make America Great Again. MAGA, you're not ready for them. Right. So um, two for two, like, no, absolutely not. We can, can we be kinder? This is the last thing. Can we be kinder? I'm always a proponent of being kind. Whenever I get an opportunity to be kind, that's when people really get to see who Benjamin Nixon is because that's what I love to do is to be kind to everyone I could possibly be kind to. But there are situations where you cannot be kind. 
You take no prisoners. Yeah, I, yep. I mean, being Irish, I can completely understand that. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it sort of, it, it, well, it sort of frames, I mean, it definitely frames my entire worldview. My, I come from the Irish sort of radical movement, which uh, there's, a, there's an episode I actually did called Natural Allies, which is uh, a reflection on the Irish radical movement in Ireland and its ties to the black radical movement over here and how they actually have been in concert for a long time. <laughs> I mean, all the way back to the beginning of Irish civil rights in the real concept in the modern era was Daniel O'Connell, who was a close pen pal and friend of Frederick Douglass. And oh, wow. Frederick Douglass actually came to Ireland. He uh, went on tour with Daniel O'Connell. And the the irony of the whole thing is the landowning gentry, who were all English at the time, uh, were very pro-abolition. So they were very excited to have Frederick, <laughs> Frederick in country. And they were showing him all this stuff. But the problem was that Frederick was walking around and noticing that the Irish peasants <laughs> were being starved to death <laughs> and uh, being run off their land and treated like crap. And he would start to talk about how... This reminds me of home, and yeah. like this is a problem. And then, then the then the landowning gentry were not overly happy with his little yeah. tour there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of con there's a lot of connection for me in, in that. that. That's how I see the that's how I see the world. So I completely understand what you're talking about with that one. The civility thing in Irish history, you're like, yeah, at some point though, the deck is so stacked against you that civility isn't going to cut it and you know at some point they're going to come to your house and kick in your door and then how civil can you possibly be you know and that these calls for civility i i find it difficult because particularly i know we're today we're sort of focusing on the snake emoji and the 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 post-mortem of the warren campaign and in the background we have you know all this real fascism going on and it, it's i think people don't realize that a lot of us like yourself and myself we've been fighting this fight for so long that it's like have you been on the internet like I, if i say i like crunchy peanut butter versus smooth i'm gonna get destroyed <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean i i could say literally anything on the internet and get absolutely annihilated for it and they all sort of act as if like this is something new like this this birdie bro abuse is really unique. It's like, no, have you been on Star Wars? I mean, I'm a nerd, guys. Like, <laughs> that's a nightmare over there. And and I just, it, it, we're getting lost in the weeds with this stuff because we got fascism on the rise and we're complaining about internet etiquette. It's the internet. <laughs> but that's the whole thing, right? They don't, they don't really, they don't really care that, um, that they're, that their supporters do the same thing, right? Everybody, everybody hates the mean supporters of everyone else. You can never be kind enough for these people because kindness is their tool to control you. We can't, I think it's hurting our, our movement, honestly, because I think people are, are upset because they're like, I don't want to be blamed for this craziness, but there's, it, there just doesn't seem to be any way to get out of that, the way of that narrative, you know? Right. Well, you have to, you have to expose the narrative, right? The, the number one weapon, again, our, our, our weapons are our words. We have the ability to not only rattle them with our words, we also have the ability to strip their arguments bare. See and how devoid of any substance they really are. And that's when you get people, that's when they really lash out. If you want to see all these people calling for civility, if you want to see them actually act up, call out their bullshit. You know, call out, uh, expose their logical fallacies. And I don't mean this in like a kind of circa 2005, you know, YouTube Christian versus atheist kind of logical argument where everyone's trying to grandstand with who can call out the most fallacies. No, I mean, like, I, we don't have to even get technical with it. Just listen to what they're saying 
hear it inside of your head for the emptiness that it really is and explain to them why it's empty. Okay, and what here's here's a specific thing I mean. I mean, um, people lost their mind on Facebook when I said this. I said, okay, number one, do you believe that Joe Biden is better than Hillary Clinton? No. Then number two, do you believe Joe Biden has a revolution of, of, of people, of volunteers that would go door to door? No. Number three, do you believe Joe, Joe Biden is going to bring enough people from uh, never Trump land to help him win? So if the answer to all those questions is no, how can you logically argue that Joe Biden is the best person to beat Donald Trump? Man, you would have you would have thought I threw acid on some people. They're like, ah, get up here. Ah, you're violent. This is someone person said this is violence. I said, no, this is this is like an argument. This is these are words. So um I, I think that's why they want to cut at us so bad they want to silence us on Twitter. The ratchet effect. The ratchet effect. If you keep compromising to the center, quote unquote, and the Republicans keep pulling us right every cycle and you keep going to the center well the center moves <laughs> and if you never allow anything backwards left any kind of counter momentum well guess what you end up with a center that is now firmly in right <laughs> right wing land and a left that barely touches the center and you think that's radical far left as like, that is like just fundamentally untrue in any other country you know it's not weird to have a socialist party in any country other than ours <laughs> basically you yeah. know and they never under they never seem to quite get that notion of like it we're ratcheting over we never ever tack back mm -hmm. and that's that leads to fascism that's what happened yeah that's exactly the trajectory that we're on and because the democratic party has found resources and money to sustain their power through the corporate wing of the democratic party um that's why they continuously capitulate right i think it it, it is so what you're seeing in me a lot of people are like oh ben you're so different no not really i'm just i've just decided in my mind that I believe the Democratic Party has been operating in bad faith. And I take that personally. So if if we're fighting in a system and we're fighting on some agreed upon rules and we lose, that's one thing. Right. It was a it was a hustle. It was a agreed upon set of rules. We abided by them and we lost. All right. We'll come back in next time and try it again. But when I find out that you're operating in bad faith, that you never had any intention of operating in good faith with us in the, from the beginning, that's what Michael Bloomberg signified to me. Michael Bloomberg signified that they were willing to break every rule, everything that they believed in, every policy. I mean, Michael Bloomberg is the antithesis of everything that we stand for. And yet they were ready to, to coalesce around him as a party. And so to me, that signifies the fact that they are not operating with us in good faith. And to me, that is treacherous. That is the thing that we have to oppose because once you start having all of these, all of, once people start engaging with you in bad faith, that, that means they're there to control you and to manipulate you and personal offense to that. So that's why I'm so motivated in the way that I am. And, and I firmly believe that Bloomberg was the plan and you really did wreck that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, I, I, I believe Joe Biden is the like holy shit moment, you know, like oh my god, we need somebody wow. to shove up there. So like that's yeah. that, that's what's so amazing to me. And I was I was wondering like because I've I've been on Twitter sort of like casually defending you when I kind of run into this like Elizabeth Warren destroyed Michael Bloomberg, and you know what? Oh yeah. If they had stopped the sentence right there or said at the debate. 
I'm fine with that. That's yes. cool. But yeah. every one of these people that did this had like a very similar way they put these words together where Elizabeth Warren destroyed Michael Bloomberg on her own with no help whatsoever. It was all her. <laughs> and it was just like, um, <laughs> oh, okay, all right, that's aggressive. Yeah. I mean, sure, she delivered the kill shot live, but I mean, that, I, I think it's pretty clear Benjamin Dixon had something to do with that. Like, at a minimum, picture it as Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Like, I, I was Dwayne Wade, I threw the alley-oop, and she was LeBron James. She, she dunked it. Like, she most, honestly, in that debate, Elizabeth Warren was so much more effective at d eviscerating um, Michael Bloomberg than even Bernie Sanders was. Like, I, I mean, like, I was like, okay, that's cool, Bernie. And then here comes Elizabeth Warren for blood, like fatality, flawless victory, just like, but like, just, she just like wiped the floor with them. So definitely she, honestly, she put the nail in the coffin, the, rhetorically speaking. Um, but, you know, I tossed her the nail in the hammer. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, I, I, and it's just funny to me that the impetus for these other folks was to to like literally erase you <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. instead of like they could have had a really great moment there like there's no reason it wasn't like an either or it wasn't a zero-sum game here it wasn't like no ben either ben did it or elizabeth did it it's like no they could have went with with the exact analogy that you just described which would have been more <laughs> than fine and awesome yeah <laughs> and but it would have been pretty cool because i'm not even that like in my own way i'm a pretty humble guy i don't really care about the 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 the, the glory or whatever but but at the same time i love the way that you identified their very specific choice of words that had the complete erasure of me in it like it's almost like you all coordinated this message to erase me like what's the point like i mean i'm, I'm just a podcaster why did why would you want to erase me yeah it's like rich people stealing at the grocery store and like eating grapes or something it's like what the hell are you why why like, are you doing you already won the game why? man relax like, it's, exactly. you it all. it's unbelievable i i just i don't understand that part of it so I guess like, we're coming up on our time here, so I just want to get another question in. Um, so where do we go from here, I guess? As a small-time show like mine, and I look up to a much larger show like yours, of course, how do we proceed forward to get this movement some real traction? So I think we keep doing what we're doing, right? I think, um, I think we keep podcasting. I think we treat it as the pamphlets of the uh, 18th century. Um, it is, it is, it is the rabble. We are the rabble rousers. We're the people who put our stoops in the square, in the town square. And we just get up there and we start shouting to the top of our lungs. Um, give us liberty or give us death. That's what we're doing. Like we, we go to the public square of Twitter and we sit up on our perch and we, we scream. And honestly, like I, I got, I'm, I'm approaching a hundred thousand followers now. So, you know, I guess that's a pretty big deal, right? I started with zero. I literally started by like everybody else started following. Oh, let me follow a whole bunch of accounts. Maybe they'll follow me back. Then I thought, okay, so all the famous people, they're not going to follow me back. Let me go follow some regular accounts. Oh, here's some regular people. Oh, we can have a conversation. And then you start cultivating relationships. And then over years, those relationships turn into small communities. And then over years, those small communities turn into forces where we actually can speak in concert and we can cover each other back. And we can make sure that, that you know, when somebody's sleeping, the other person is already awake and they're already making sure that we are taking care of this particular issue. Like we've built an entire movement online organically for no other reason than the purpose that we believe in this so if we keep going that's all we have to do is keep going we're going to change this country and if we change this country we change the world 
it's it's a beautiful little thing we have going and i can't thank you enough for for giving me this time and like helping encourage this and uh you, you just fill me with so much spirit man i'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to roll hey man absolutely I, and see i'm that's why i absolutely when i when i put the call out for me to do small podcasts I, I did it out of love for independent media and the fact that I am a small podcast. I'm still small. Like I think I, I you know, maybe I have 6,000 downloads a day, which, which is a lot for me now. I used to have 10 downloads a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, but still in the bigger scheme of things, like Ben Shapiro does a hundred thousand downloads a day. Um, and so I'm still a small podcast. I did it for the purposes of uplifting other small podcasts. But now that I've done it, I've spoken on a, like at least 25, 30 podcasts. I could say this. What we're doing is going to be the history of the future. Like people are going to listen to what we're recording because they'll be able to get real time analysis that ask questions that the news media that nobody's going to be able to give a historical view of the of what happened in the past based on what they watch on CNN. What they'll be able to do is to listen to one of our podcasts and they'll be able to see that we went through some reasonable, objective, measured approaches to analyzing a situation. And they'll be able to connect with our best practices, but they're not going to be able to connect with the best practices of a CNN because CNN is not engaging in any best practices. It's entertainment. So now that I've done all the, so many small podcasts, I can affirmatively say that what we are doing is so important because we have the autonomy and the desire and quite frankly we have the profit motive of telling the truth and asking the right questions so uh thank you for letting me come on because i think it's important ben thank you so much man i really appreciate it and i look forward to talking to you again hey my pleasure have a great weekend my friend see you on twitter bye-bye right. yep bye-bye well i hope you all enjoyed that conversation with mr benjamin dixon i hope you were as inspired by it as i was and the biggest takeaway from it for me was to take heart and be confident in the mission. You know, what we're doing is important, particularly when we're doing it all together. And if, you know, get inspired, start your podcast, write a newsletter, shout in the town square of Twitter. I really liked that imagery. You know, but, but get out there and make our voices heard. We know Super Tuesday didn't go the way we wanted it to, but this was always going to be an uphill battle. It was never going to be easy. And it, it makes me think of uh, an Irish song I've always heard and I, I play from time to time, but it's called The Legend, and it's about Nelson Mandela. And one of the lines in it is, These miles may be the hardest, but they will be the last. And I truly hope that's what we're facing today. For I know these miles ahead will be rather hard. But if we work together, they will be the last. If you'd like to follow Mr. Dixon, you can do so at Benjamin P. Dixon on Twitter. You can find him on Apple Podcasts and also at ProgressiveArmy.com and YouTube. And as always, don't get captured. You've been listening to The New American Left. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and visit us at thenewamericanleft.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at the new A-M-E-R left.